With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I do not understand this football name in America. How how many of kicks is there in the football game? Six kicks? I'm going to say it once and hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a disaster waiting to happen. I love all of those things with the piggy skin and the men running around. So much screams and then a toss and then everyone is in a large, large hill. A star is born in the NFL. I like the moxie, but I, more importantly, I like the poise and the noise. Oh, what are you doing? You gotta be paping me! It's Jonathan Elway, he was so sassy and cool and hey guys, I'm a cowboy, bang bang, sling sling, toss toss, I'm going to lose all the time and then I win and then he leaves as he wins. You cannot beat this. From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gilligan. Yes, I'm Kevin Gilligan, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. Yes, though the Broncos may have a week off here at Broncos and Bratwurst, we do not. And we will continue to converse and predict and bemoan the 2018 Denver Broncos. It's really a unique week in all of sports, I think. And it's it gives you this chance to, to look on what's happened during the season and then what you predict and what you hope will happen for the rest. And it's almost like that deep breath before the storm, you know, the, the calm before the storm, and especially when it's halfway through the season. I mean, I think you can have a bye week in week four or five, and this being in week 10, it's especially fitting and especially unique in that it, it allows us to go back and look at the team so far 
you know, they're they're three and six for the through the first nine games, and then also to to look a little bit into the, the you know the, the last seven games of the season and, and what we expect will happen. It's also kind of unusual because it's it's such a different sport. You have that one game during the week. It's it's maybe the most similar to soccer, but even soccer I think often has two games a week and at least one. But you know you have basketball, baseball, hockey, etc. They have many games and in, in, in two or three a week at times. And football really is unusual that it's once a week. And so when you don't have that, it makes it even more. It gives you that feeling of what am I going to do? You know, geez, I'm sitting here and and I don't have my Broncos to watch. Now it's a little different in Germany because, you know, if I want to watch the Broncos, it's sometimes it's two thirty a.m. in the morning. Or fortunately, when it's an early game in in Denver, say I think the eleven fifteen games would be seven fifteen p.m. here in Germany. So that's not too bad. But anyway, for this off week, this bye week for the Broncos, like everybody else, we want to look a bit about, you know, what has happened so far this season. And the, the first segment, I want to talk about what's happened. Most of it's negative. Some of it's positive. Um, I don't want to be too down about the year. I mean, everyone talks over and over and over about the coaching staff and, and how bad they are and the bad decisions and etc. But I think we need to just, you know, look at it a little more outside of being fans and say, okay, what has really happened? And, and, and again, you know, what, what are the facts? The facts are the Broncos are three and six. They've, they have wins over Oakland, Seattle, and Arizona. They have losses against Baltimore, Kansas City, New York Jets, LA Rams, Kansas City again, and Houston. Now, there were some close losses, but there were also a couple close wins. Remember, Oakland and Seattle, they were tight victories. They were not wins that the Broncos ran away with and they were in fact games that Case Keenum and the Broncos came back from behind and ended up winning really in the fourth quarter of the games and games that they didn't play that well anyway now Arizona was a total whooping but it was it was a whooping of a team that's really really not good and then a team that is completely rebuilding much like the Oakland Raiders who the Broncos barely were able to beat now they had close losses in games like against the Rams, against Kansas City, especially the first game, against Houston, where, of course, uh, Brandon McManus missed the last uh, second field goal, uh, 51-yarder. That was a heartbreaker. But, you know, even before Houston, I think it was that game against Kansas City that really put put this season out of reach. There was never going to be any real good things coming from the season anyway. And so, of course, the question then becomes, what do we want from this season? Now, you know that that will depend again on what we've seen so far. Now it's been a very eventful season for the Broncos, and mostly with bad things. You had the Chad Kelly incident where he broke into someone's house and and sat on their couch and and was arrested for felony charges of breaking and entering. Now this was all while wearing a Woody costume, Woody from Toy Story. Uh, so he's dressed up like a toy cowboy sitting on someone's couch while I'm sure completely inebriated. This is your backup quarterback who many people thought was going to be the future of this franchise or hoped that he could be because, well, the quarterback we have now in Case Keenum, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but eh, he's not been super hopeful and he hasn't lived up to his expectations. So Chad Kelly, he's gone. Of course, he's released by the Denver Broncos after the felony arrest charge. Now, shortly after that, the week, the next week, or actually, it's during that week you had this issue with the Bolins, the Bolin family, which, of course, the Broncos' ownership, led by Pat Bolin, 
for years and years thrived and, and made this team one of the most successful franchises in all of sports, not just the NFL and all of sports. They have not lost consecutive. They have not had consecutive losing seasons for, I believe it's 45 years or, or 40 years or something like that. And they've, they've been year in and year out successful. They have three championships. They have nine world uh, Super Bowl appearances. They've been very good since Pat Bowen took over. Now, unfortunately, due to his health, due to his Alzheimer's, he has not had control of the team for 10 years plus. Now, for a while, that didn't affect the team, but lately there's been you know grumblings and rumors. There, the, the trust that was put in place to rule instead of, of Pat Bowen and to put things in place and make things run like they thought Pat Bowen would want them to, they have really failed in a lot of ways. I think the leadership in the Broncos is is not been up to par, at least in level with Pat Bowen. And that's a hard thing to do. He was one of the greatest of all time in ownership. He should be a Hall of Famer, hopefully this season. Now, that's a whole other story. The, the Bowens and who's going to take over leadership, will they sell the team, etc. Um, also this season... Demarius Thomas traded to Houston the week before the Broncos played Houston. It was a strange ordeal. I think it was good that they traded him because they got some value out of him. They weren't going to bring him back next year. They sent him to a team that has a chance to win, that has a chance to win their division. He has a an opportunity to have a good season and to have a winning season. And that's good for everyone. But that's not the problem. The trade wasn't the issue. It was how they handled the trade, how they handled everything up to the trade. The whole season, we've heard rumors from players, and these aren't just your part-time players. These are some of your stars. These are some of your longest tenure players in Chris Harris Jr., Demarius Thomas. Yeah, also Marquette King, who is not a long-time Bronco, who is also no longer part of the team. But these are still guys who have respect around the league and who are generally highly thought of, especially Chris Harris Jr. and Demarius Thomas. And they have not had good things to say about the coaching staff. They're saying that the coaches don't listen to them, that the coaches aren't putting them in the best position to win. That's a major problem. And these, again, these are not players who have been known to complain. They have not publicly criticized anyone, to my knowledge. I've never remember Chris Harris Jr. ever saying anything negative, ever. He's one of my favorite players. He is a great interview. He's a good guy. He is a team guy. He took a smaller, he took a pay cut to play for the Denver Broncos because he loved this team. He loved this city. And now he's criticizing the coaches for not putting him in the position to win. That is a major problem, and it is is a serious, serious slap in the face of the coaching staff and John Elway and the executive executives I should say they John Elway stayed with his coaching staff for better or worse and that has to reflect on him and negative or not that is part of the news that's happened this season and it's unfortunate now also other big news for the whole season Case Keenum brought in on an 18 million a year contract that's that's nothing to sniff at this is a guy who was brought in to succeed he's not a stopgap Yes, it's only a two-year contract, but still, it's a big contract. Russell Wilson gets paid $21.9 million a year, I believe, at least this season and next season. Now, Keenum is only $3 million less. That's not significant enough to to say that Keenum is only a guy who, you know, it doesn't really matter. That's a lot of money. He should succeed. And he hasn't. He has 11 touchdowns on the season, 10 interceptions. And when you look at the QBR, which is one of my favorite stats, not everyone likes it, but I love it because it really combines all of your stats, you know, from from the game. I mean, I mean, I think it's something 13 or 15 different stats and it combines it together. 
and his overall QBR is 43.6. That is 27th in the NFL. 27th. There are only six guys under him and five with significant playing time. That's Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Manning, and Osweiler. Which means three of them are rookies, okay? Three of the guys with lower QBR in the NFL are rookies, so it's expected. These guys are not expected to have great seasons. Now, a few of them have been fairly good, like Baker Mayfield. Three of them have not been very good. Doesn't matter. You don't expect them to be very good. Now, Eli Manning has been terrible, and he's been slowly going downhill for, for several years now, and you know, it, that's, I would not think he is a good one to be on, on a list with Osweiler as well. He's a, he's a career journeyman who, who couldn't succeed in Denver or, or several other places, including Houston. Um, so Keenum has not gotten the job done. I, that That's clear. It's obvious. And it's been beat like a dead horse, but it's still one of the facts of the season. He is one of the five or six worst quarterbacks in the NFL, according to many different stats. And the record of three and six really pays homage to that fact. Now, this whole failure of, of a three and six record and in the failure of most likely, almost definitely a lose two consecutive losing seasons is a trickle down effect. It goes from the top to the bottom. It starts with the Bolins. It goes to John Elway's bad decision making. It goes to the coaches not being the proper people to put players in the best position to win. And of course, it also is put on the players. Players are always the ones who are on the field who have to make things happen. Brandon McManus missing a kick. Case Keenum missing a pass to Demarius Thomas that could have won a game as well. I mean, these are also on the players. You can't blame everything on the coaches. The players, of course, they're the ones on the field making the plays or not making the plays. So it goes from top to bottom, and that's really disappointing. Now, the question is, now that we're in the bye week, what do the Broncos have to do to improve? What do they do looking forward? How that can they become the team, the franchise, that the beloved, respected franchise from around the league that everyone fears year in and year out because of their ownership, because of their leadership, because teams know that this this Denver Broncos franchise, no matter what, even with their talent, even if the talent on the field is not as good as it could be, the leadership will bring them to success more often than not because they will find a way to win and they will always, always do it in the right way. That is not happening right now and a large part of that is due to the fact that Pat Bolin is no longer the real owner of this team and that is going to have to change and I it may very likely be a sale and I would like to turn that over now. I would like to turn the show over now to... Mr. D, the skipper dude, who's going to tell you a little bit more in detail about the Bolins, the history of the Bolins, and what the Broncos might need to do moving forward to have success in the next several years, starting from ownership and all the way down. Thanks, Kevin, and thanks for having me on. As always, I am Mr. D, the Skipper Dude, and today I want to start a series on the the the, the topic that's on the top of everybody's mind these days. What's wrong with the Denver Broncos? And and what I want to do today is I want to start with a fairly dire warning for Bronco fans. 
Um, and, and it starts with me professionally. Professionally, I have spent 30, a 30-year 30 career in, in IT mostly as an analyst and middle management and leadership. And I've so I've experienced the business world, so to speak, as a player, you know, P-L-A-Y-A, right? A coach and a general manager. And, and, and I, I understand the dynamics of leadership. And what we have going on in Denver is, is a meltdown of, of leadership. And, and so I have some bad news and some good news for, for Broncos fans today. The bad news is as of today, as of November 2018, the Pat Bowen era is over. It's been running on fumes for several years, but it really is over completely at, at this point, as Mr. B really has no impact on the organization whatsoever. And, and I want you to listen closely here. The Broncos are currently on a leadership trajectory that it's without, if it's not fundamentally changed in the next couple of years, this is going to turn them into basically the Detroit Lions over the next five to 10 years. I, I don't see them being Cleveland Browns type bad, but they're going to have an existence where a playoff appearance is big news, and they're always, always a key injury, heartbreaking loss, or whatever, away from being six and ten or, or five and eleven. That is the course we're on right now, and it's scary. The, the good news, of course, is that this is the NFL, and as quickly as a storied team like the Broncos can go from Super Bowl champ to perpetually mediocre, which is kind of the course they're on right now, they can right their ship just as quickly. But it's not going to be because easy because the Broncos right now they're they're suffering at every level of their organization leading uh, leadership coaching and and talent so what I'd like to do over the next few weeks is to offer my main three reasons why I believe the Broncos are a franchise in decline right at the moment but more importantly I'm not going to just complain about what's wrong but I'm going to provide some common sense remedies to put things back on track and, and get us back to where we are accustomed as Broncos fans, okay? Fair enough? All right, so first, let, let's take a look at my top three reasons the Skipper Dude believes the Broncos, Denver Broncos, are an organization in decline. Okay, reason number one, they have a completely dysfunctional ownership group, and that's what I'm going to focus on today. Number two, the John Elway draft void of 2013 to 2017. If you remember, you know, for your longer-time fans, 2000. 11, 2012, when John Elway first came on and Brian Sanders um, was running drafts. It, they actually had a couple of really good drafts back then. And in 2018, this this year, once they got Gary Kubiak more deeply involved in the draft, it was a particularly good draft. But they have almost no talent from 2000, drafted talent from 2013 to 2017. And that bubble is making its way through the organization is going to cost them um, in the standings, you know, for another couple of years at least. And the number three reason why I believe the Broncos are, are in decline is the head coach franchise quarterback conundrum. That's being discussed at length, and I'll probably throw in here in a couple of weeks on, on where I think they are with head coach and franchise quarterback. So uh, these, these three items just happen to be three of the most key factors for on-field success in, in today's modern NFL era. And they're all pretty well a fail right now for the Broncos. And if you want to know why they're coming off of a 5-11 season and maybe heading for another 5-11 season, feels a little bit more like 7-9, but still probably below 500, um, 
these are these are them. These are the reasons. Um, so t- today we're going to discuss item number one: ownership and the utter complete void in in Broncos ownership in the post Pat Bolin era. So recently, I've been reading through some of the latest Bolin family news, and and, and it's not difficult. The, the picture that these stories paint is of a bunch of spoiled, rotten, silver spoon sniveling idiots who can't or won't get along with each other, and they're all jockeying for legal position, probably with lawyers at hand, to take power and, and try to you know, duplicate the personal glory of, of Mr. B once he, he passes on. It's a mess. And Bill Bolin, Pat's brother, who lives in Canada, doesn't even live in America, is literally right now suing Joe Ellis and the other members of the Pat Bolin Trust, the Pat Bolin Trust to give control to Beth Bolin Wallace, who, who is a daughter of of Pat and his first wife, Sally Parker. And, and the Pat Bolin Trust, partly managed by Joe Ellis, is firing back and saying that Beth Bolin Wallace is effectively not competent for the job. Guys, this is a mess. It's an absolute mess, and it's pathetic to watch. Okay, But, but Skipper, you're saying, you're asking, what does this have to do with Case Keenum and his nine interceptions? Okay, What does it have to do with Vance Joseph running the clock for a 51-yard field goal instead of trying to you know, get get uh, McManus in closer, or, or or the fact that the defensive secondary can't tackle from from game you know from game to game. And, and my answer to you may be a little bit surprising. It has everything, everything to do with what's going on on the field. Okay, and here's what I want to explain. So I'm I'm going to switch over sports for a moment to uh, to baseball. I have a friend at work who is good friends with Pete Ricketts. And Pete Ricketts is the governor of Nebraska, and he's also a part owner along with the rest of his family of the Chicago Cubs, having taken over for the Chicago Tribune back in in 2008. And what's interesting is my friend at work tells me that what surprised the Ricketts family when they first took over the Cubs was the degree to which the Tribune just didn't seem to care much about winning. They, They had their big WGN contract, and they, they sold out Wrigley Field pretty much every day, and they did have some success, but, but they never had World Series-type success, and, 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 and Pete Ricketts attributed that to a large degree because ownership just didn't really care. And, and, and so what, what changed? Um, the, the, um, the Ricketts took over in, in 2019. They, they purged the front office and kind of started over, and, and by 2015... As you know, anybody who follows baseball, they've had pretty well a World Series contender since then. So, so now I'm sure that the Tribune wanted to be a winner. Anybody who owns a sports franchise, they want to be a winner. Of course, there's nothing special about that. That that's common. But here's the question: What were they willing? Speaking about the Tribune right now, what were they willing to give up to be a winner? Were they willing to build a corporate culture that united everybody around winning? I don't think they did. Were they willing to make hard decisions like like taking politically powerful executives who are not contributing to winning and getting rid of them? Probably not. Were, were they willing to go to bat, or no pun intended, for, for up-and-coming front office talent? Were they willing to put aside their petty politics for the good of the cause, for the, for the team, for, for winning? And what I have found in, in my 30 years in corporate politics with amazing frequency, I'd say probably half the time or more, is that the answer is usually no. Okay? I want to win, 
but do I want to win more than I want to, you know, not not skewer somebody politically on, on my team who, who I agree with or stab somebody else in the back who's in my political chain of command or whatever? No, pretty much pretty much what I have found is that no, most most people at the at the C level and ownership position, they don't. They they don't they don't want to win enough to put all of those personal petty politics aside. And and more to the point, what I have found is that in, in probably half of the cases, C-level, chief-level, and ownership ownership positions, people in them, they, they lack the emotional maturity that, that they need to properly handle the job. And even if they have the emotional maturity, they probably lack the common sense, Okay. Now, and that's bad enough. You look around the NFL and you probably have plenty of, of uh, team owners, plenty of, of chiefs, chief executive officers who, who, who lack the maturity or lack the common sense to, to put a competent winning football team on the field. Now, when you get into inherited positions that are earned, quote unquote, through birthright or inheritance, I think that number when it comes to incompetence gets close to 80% or 90%. And I think that that's what you're looking at with the Bolins is is a whole group of, of people who, if they get into power, are not going to have the emotional maturity. They might, they're in it for their own glory. They're not in it to run a, a top-notch organization. And they don't know what, it, they're not going to know what it takes to win. Okay? So how does this dysfunctionality play out on the field because there's there's such a divide. Most most NFL players are probably never met their owners, you know, and, and and so if there's dysfunctionality at the owner level, how does that play out on the field? Well, let's take a look and, and explore a bit what it takes to win in the NFL today. And and what what I would say is that yes, you know, as always, winning is about talent. However, talent level. Think about talent for a minute. It's talent level of every team's 53rd player, the last player who makes it on probably is a special teams guy or whatever. That player's talent has gotten so high in in today's NFL that when you combine it with with the rigors of the salary cap as well as the college draft, there there's virtually no difference from one team to another when it comes to talent. So, what does it take to be a winner? Well, what it takes is basically a whole host of intangibles. And those intangibles include things like coaching and scheme, creativity, grit, passion, confidence, preparation, locker room harmony. And, and, and I think one of the biggest ones, hitting the perfect emotional and physical peak at game time on Sundays. That's something that um, I remember back in the Super Bowl, the, the uh, Super Bowl with the, the uh, Seahawks and, and Broncos that, that – um, Pete Carroll just just nailed that from the from the standpoint of of having his team at peak performance right at game time and total fail for John Fox. But but anyways, a, a great owner like like a Pat Bolin makes it his job to remove obstacles and see to it that his GMs can evaluate and sign the best talent. Coaches can coach, players can play. All to these intangibles. It starts it starts with leadership, and and, and with Mr. B. He he made a terrible terrible decision by bringing in Josh McDaniels, but he turned he turned right around two years later and and undid that decision 
ran him off, fired him, and that was when he brought in John Elway. He took a bad situation and, and turned it into something great. And, and when you, you talk about Mr. Mr. There's one great story that I love to tell about, about Pat Bolin. Back in, I think it was the late 80s or the early 90s, he didn't go on the radio a lot. He didn't do a lot of interviews because he never wanted to make the Broncos about himself. But he would go on once or twice a year, usually during the preseason. And the interviewer would ask him the question, so how do you think you're going to do this year, Pat? And, or Mr. B. And, and, and he, he always had the same answer. He, he said, this year we're going to go 16-0 and and we're going to win the Super Bowl. Okay. And I always thought, what a perfect, beautiful answer to that question. Basically, what he was doing from the top levels of the organization, did he believe that the team was going to go 16-0 and win the Super Bowl? No. You know he knew better than that. He was realistic. But here he was in public getting the backs of his entire organization and basically announcing to the world, I have the best beast, the best football people behind me that that there are to have and and you know we are going to go to war and we are going to be united as a franchise and that was the kind of thing that Pat Bowen did that made him so great and and so when when you look at the other side of this coin when leadership is compromised or dysfunctional the trickle down through the organization impacts these intangibles okay every team every team every every player every coach it's going to make mistakes. The teams are going to bust on draft picks. They're going to over t- overpay free agents. But but when it happens and, and somebody makes a critical mistake or, or let's say the team loses a key game or perhaps a key player suffers a major injury, great organizations will bond together and, and, and use it and, and treat it as a hurdle to overcome and they'll overcome it. It's a challenge. Um, bad organizations what they do is they look to assign blame, and eventually they end up succumbing to the, the politics of the blame game. And all of this starts at the top. So, so back to the Broncos. I'm looking at this next generation of Bowling leadership, and I'm seeing that 90% of Silver Spoon birthright leaders who lack the emotional maturity to handle the job. And honestly, I don't see a path to victory here with this fa- with, with, with this. Bolin um, second generation. If the younger Bolins hold on to the Broncos, I see this franchise descending into a soap opera over the next decade or so. And, and, and they're going to probably end up reminding people of the Rams under Georgia Frontieri, if, if any of you remember back that far. And, and almost undoubtedly, I see them being worse than, than the Jerry Jones Cowboys. I think they're going to be, as an organization, an absolute mess. And so to that end, step number one in getting this Broncos franchise healthy, the Bolins need to sell the Broncos, okay? That is number one in, in what they need to do. And, and personally, I don't have any inside information, but I feel confident that if, if the Bolins can be talked into selling, that, that there will be an investor group led by John Elway, possibly Peyton Manning, they could create, they could raise the money, put together an investor team that would do the job. And, and they could create a real legitimate ownership structure that's probably fairly similar to what Magic Johnson has done with the, uh, the Dodgers in L.A. And, of course, turn them into a perpetual powerhouse. 
Um, if there's anybody who understands the role of good ownership in sports, it's John Elway and Peyton Manning. And, and even to the extent that they wouldn't be able to avoid being the center of attention to a degree, I'm certain that they would still be able to create the corporate culture that would create the intangibles that would make this team successful over the long haul. So with that, Kevin, back to you. Some harsh truth from Skipper, dude. Getting real with the Bolin family. And I tend to agree. I, I think, again, like I said, that the issues stem from top to bottom and that the Bolin family is no longer the right group of people to own this own this team. And Pat Bolin, Mr. Bolin, he was the guy. And just like Skipper Dude said, he was the guy who could make tough decisions and and do the thing that was right for the team no matter what. And you don't get that feeling now. And John Elway doesn't seem to have that good instinct of firing someone when he needs to or not hiring people just because he's friends with them. And later on, we're going to talk about what the team should do once they fire Vance Joseph, because let's not kid ourselves. They're going to fire Vance Joseph and the rest of the coaching staff. There's no reason to keep them on. They've lost the trust of Elway, the players, and the fans. Now, they'll probably stay on for the rest of the season. But the big question is, who will the Broncos bring in to replace them. And I think that's a fascinating idea and something I can't wait to to talk about in the in the in the final segment of of this show. Um but first let's talk about for the rest of the season. Yeah, the coaches, you know, that they bring in are are more for the future. The the new ownership is more for the future. What is going to happen right now? What should happen? What probably will happen? Now the fans and many of us pundits or media or whatever you want to call us or the mix of both I mean I'm a fan and I guess you can say I'm a little bit in the media we want something new something fresh everybody does I mean Vance Joseph it was worth the the try I, I guess uh, it didn't work out and I think that's very clear now that he was not the right fit for the team and he should go as along with the rest of his his coaching staff now I think that's going to happen no doubt but I don't think it's going to happen this season and really why should it? Who are they going to replace you know, him with on the team? The only reason I can see, and I, I've said this before, and, and I, I don't know. You, know. you know how fans have, have emotions. I do too. Come on, I'm a fan. I have the emotion. They go up and down, back and forth. They change. One week, I want Vance Joseph fired immediately. And the next, it's like, you know, why? What's it going to do? You know, Maybe it's best for the team right now to lose. And if that's the case, Vance Joseph is probably the best coach to have. I mean, he's lost them in several games, probably on his own. I mean, in Houston, I have no doubt that Vance Joseph was why they lost that game. Now, that being the case, you know, the Broncos winning doesn't really help. Yes, it's it's good because it creates a culture of winning. It's good for the fans. But, you know, maybe you want a higher draft pick. Now, last week, Skipper, the Skipper dude, did a really, really great uh, segment about uh, going full Chucky and if it's worth it to tank and to sell off all your high pieces to to get top picks. Now, I highly recommend you going back and listening to, to last week's podcast, and especially, I think it's around the 20-minute mark when he talks about the uh, the idea of going full Chucky and the idea of, is it worth it? to trade your your most highly sought after and, and your best players 
in order to get draft picks. And and I won't spoil his ending, what he what he decides in the end and what is the best. But it's a fascinating idea, and it's something that we're again going to talk about in the final segment of what the Broncos are going to do in the future. But again, for this season, what are they going to do? What do we want them to do? They have some difficult games coming up. They have two against San Diego. They play against Pittsburgh. They play against a pretty good Cleveland team. And then they also play against Oakland. Now, in Cincinnati, Cincinnati just got absolutely steamrolled by by New Orleans, and they're likely looking like they're going to be looking from the outside in um, into the, the playoffs. They're, they're probably not going to make it. And somehow Marvin Lewis will probably get extended his for his coaching job. Talk about a weird team. I mean, a team that I would I I would I think I would rather be the Oakland Raiders than the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are this team that year in and year out they go nine and seven or ten and six and and they have some hope and they look good and then they just totally tank and that's hard, man. And that's that's not something I'd wish on even my worst enemies, except for Oakland, Kansas City, and San Diego. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess. You guys know what I'm talking about now. So, you know, I just lost my train of thought because I was thinking about the failure of, of my my hated teams. Anyway, what what is this team? What what do we want to look for? We we do we want wins? Yes, I always want to win. When I'm watching the game, when I'm sitting and watching a game, I never want a loss ever. I, I've said this over and over, and I know fans agree. You don't sit there hoping for a loss. Of course not. And you know this this draft, it doesn't seem to be a very deep one, especially for quarterbacks. So, is it going to help to go three and in thirteen, or is it going to be better to go eight and eight? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's probably long term better to go three and thirteen, but we don't know. And I don't want to root for the team to lose, and I never will root for them to lose. Now that said, I don't think winning is not the key priority this season either. The key priority this season should be to find out what you have in your young players, your your guys who are, you know, your your recent draft picks, guys who could have a run and could have an impact on your next contention window team. And that's something we we bring up over and over in this so on this show what is the the contention windows. When when is the best time for this team to have a chance to win? And who is going to be on this team to help get that done? Now again in the next segment we're going to talk about the possibilities for either going full Chucky in a complete rebuild, or maybe, just maybe, the team needs to bring in a new quarterback and a new coach, and the Denver Broncos will immediately be back in the playoff and Super Bowl picture. But that's coming up next. Now, before that, usually I do the around the NFL um, in the last segment. But the last segment, segment I want to save for the, the, the coaching and quarterback search for... 2019 and, and who I hope or who I think is at least vaguely possible to be in the discussion for the for the next Broncos you know quarterback and coach and as we've talked about before that's what's most important in in the sport of, of, of football is you have to have you have to have the guy either calling the plays and with an extreme leadership who can coach up a quarterback or an all-time great quarterback, or in the best case, you have Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, and a dynasty that will reach almost 20 years of competing in the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Now that said, let's look real quickly around the rest of the NFL, Uh, especially again, we like to focus on the AFC West. 
this week, Oakland again shamed themselves at home against the LA Chargers. They lost 20 to 6. They had a couple more brain dead plays, as is usual. Derek Carr showed again that he is not a franchise quarterback and that likely the team held on to the wrong player. They got rid of Mac and probably should have gotten rid of Carr. Um, we'll see what they do with him. I don't think he's the guy there, but they're they're in a five year rebuild. So honestly, in Oakland, it doesn't really matter what they do in the next few years. They're just looking for draft capital and to build from the ground up. Um, in Kansas City, they they won twenty six fourteen against Arizona. It was actually a closer game than I would have thought. Kansas City ended up pulling away in the end, but Arizona actually put up a fight. They they played pretty well on defense. They they sacked Mahomes several times. Kansas City, they start to look a little more human, a little more like they're beatable, but whew, they're still a good team. Uh, unfortunately, a very good team. And a team that um, I, I keep saying that San Diego is the team to beat in the AFC West, but boy, Kansas City, they, they proved me wrong week in and week out. Now, I'll, I'll, we'll wait and see when Kansas City and San Diego play. Um, I think that might be, let me see, that, that might be this next week as I try to pull it up. Who do they play? Now, Kansas City plays... Oh, that's right. Kansas City plays the LA Rams in Mexico City, which is a kind of a bizarre game. Oh, Denver plays the LA Chargers. Wow, idiot. But you see, one bye week in my brain is just already out of it. Um, Denver plays the LA Chargers in LA. Uh, Kansas City pl- plays the LA Rams. Boy, that should be one of the best games of the season. Two absolute powerhouse offenses against two absolutely terrible defenses. So if you have anybody on fantasy in... For either of those teams, definitely start them. It doesn't matter if it's the third string wide receiver. They're probably going to get some that game. Now, what else happened this week around the NFL? The LA Rams pulled out against Seattle. Dallas beat Philadelphia. New York Giants won in the toilet bowl game against San Francisco. Washington beat Tampa Bay. That was an interesting game. Washington, they won in Tampa Bay. I, I saw that the... The Buccaneers had 500-plus yards of offense and scored three points, first time in NFL history. That's that's remarkable. <laughs> I think we need to give props for Tampa Bay to even be able to do that. New Orleans, they won 51 over to uh, 51-14 against Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, boy, New Orleans is good. I mean, they're just unbelievable. They're so hurt. They, they have, I, I, I think I heard five receivers on IR or five receivers on injured reports and they still put up 51. I mean, Alvin Kamara is a joke. He's he's a freak show. Drew Brees is one of the greatest to ever play the game. Wow, what a game. Indianapolis beat Jacksonville. Indianapolis is turning out to be a pretty good team this year. Thank you, Andrew Luck. Chicago defeated Detroit. Detroit's just, they're, they're so bad. Buffalo, 41 over New York Jets, 41 to 10. Pittsburgh destroyed Carolina, 52 to 21. Pittsburgh's an interesting team. I think that I, I see people having the Broncos beating Pittsburgh, and I, I don't see any reason to believe that. I think I think Pittsburgh uh, comes in and destroys the Denver Broncos. Uh, finally, Green Bay whipped up on Miami, and the the uh, the Browns beat Atlanta twenty eight sixteen. Again, this Browns team is not one to sleep on. I think they're they are really building for the future. They need a good coach to come in and coach uh, Baker Mayfield and the rest of the team. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the upcoming segment. And finally, the best game of the week, the game that we all really enjoyed since our Broncos were not playing, was Tennessee 34, New England 10. Oh, is it so joyous to see 
an irritated, frustrated, sad, and mopey Tom Brady. I love it so dearly. It makes my heart soar with the Eagles. Um, okay, so we'll head into the next segment. We're going to talk again about who the Broncos might have a chance at bringing in as head coach and possibly the quarterback to immediately bring the Broncos back to contention and Super Bowl and playoff glory. Okay, I'm really excited about this last segment because I think it's really interesting. And yeah, it's all hyperbole, or hyperbole. It's all um, hypothetical. It's all possibility. It's all my dreams. Yes, maybe there's nothing to it, but there is one of these guys. There's been rumors already about, and and there's a good reason to believe that it might happen. And even there's some connection with both these head coaches. I'm going to bring up, and a good possibility with the two head with the two excuse me the two quarterbacks we're going to talk about as well. So again, as Skipper Dude and I have talked about the last couple of weeks, should this team go full Chucky, blow it up, and completely start fresh, or should they try to do a slow rebuild, or should they just try to bring in one or two key pieces to compete right now? Now, this is a really good question because what are the weaknesses of this team? I'm sure we all agree on on some of them. The offensive line, besides Paradis and Leary, needs to be blown up and destroyed. I mean, and they probably will be. They need to bring in almost three fresh guys and backup guys to compete with them. Now, the defensive uh, front line, I think, is really good. You have Chubb, you have Miller, you have Wolf. A couple guys going into free agency, but I think they're solid. Maybe get a, a better defensive tackle. Um, the linebackers are good. I think that uh, Josie Jewell is going to have a, a long uh, future with the Broncos. Um, Todd Davis is also really solid. He's really picked up his game this season. I think he's a good, solid starter. Uh, the safeties, I think Sua Cravens, I think he has a good future with the team. He looked good last week, I thought. Um, Will Parks, they have some good guys. Now, the secondary, you know, the cornerbacks, obviously that's been an issue. Part of it's been injury. Part of it's been they, they got rid of Aqib Tlaib in the offseason. So you only have Chris Jarris, Chris Harris Jr., excuse me, and Bradley Roby. So I think that's the key you need to focus on offensive line and your secondary, your cornerbacks. Um now, those are two big things to fix, but you could possibly fix the offensive line in free agency and possibly with a, you know, first three round uh, picks or a couple first round, uh, you know, first, you know, a couple picks in the first three rounds. Now, if you do that, if you go with a slow build, this is what we're going to say. We're going to say this team is just a few pieces away from competing. Now, what are those pieces? Again, offensive line cornerbacks. Now, I think those are doable, but they're not the key pieces. We all know the key pieces to winning in the NFL are a quarterback and at least a competent leader at coach. You must have it. You see it over and over that these teams that continue to fail have coaches that can't succeed, can't lead, and can't make the right decisions. Now, sometimes that's because of the players, a mix of things, etc., whatever. You have to have a good coach, at least a competent coach. Look at Pittsburgh. They have Ben Roethlisberger, and they have Mike Tomlin, who, yeah, he's probably not a great coach. Most people wouldn't say he's a great coach. He may not even be a good coach, but he's competent. He's a guy who can control the locker room enough, okay? Now, he's had issues in the locker room before, but it's enough that they can be a good team and even a great team with the right talent. Now, the Broncos, they have some talent, but they don't have Ben Roethlisberger. They don't have a quarterback. Case Keenum is obviously not the guy, and they don't have the head coach because, obviously, the coaching staff has lost the team. When you have guys like Chris Harris Jr. and Demarius Thomas complaining about the coaches, that is a major issue, and they must go. So they're gone. Let's not even talk about Vance Joseph anymore. So 
That means this team needs really two main pieces to compete immediately. I'm talking about playoffs. I'm talking about Super Bowl. They have the talent. Look at their rushing. Look at look at Bradley Chubb. Look at Von Miller. Look at Lindsey Freeman Sutton. Emmanuel Sanders, there is real talent on this team, and they are just a few pieces. Now, they're big pieces away, but hear me out. Hear me out. There have been rumors this week, just this week, that Russell Wilson will likely not remain long-term with the Seattle Seahawks. He has one more year on his contract. He is signed for next season at around $22 million. Now, Again, keep in mind, that's only $4 million more than Case Keenum, which just blows me away because obviously Russell Wilson is an extremely higher caliber quarterback. Now, he hasn't had a great season, and honestly, he hasn't been great for the last couple of years, but that's mainly because his offensive line has been putrid, putrid bad. And you can question his coaching staff, etc. He had um, uh, Daryl, uh, what was his name, Daryl Bevel for, for many years, and they succeeded with their running game. Uh, behind Marshawn Lynch it, and, and had a lot of success. Went to two Super Bowls, won one, of course, against the, the Denver Broncos. And Russell Wilson is a guy who everybody knows. He's a four-time Pro Bowler. He's he's a a good dude. He's a leader. He's, he's a guy that I really do believe has respect around the league, and he's a good quarterback. He's a mobile quarterback who can also play from within the pocket. Now, in the right system, Russell Wilson can be one of the, one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. I fully believe that. Now, with the right people around him, I believe he could be possibly a top five quarterback. Now, maybe that's stretching it, but he's a pro bowler. He's a four-time pro bowler, which means, again, he is one of the top six or seven guys or has been. I think he could be again. Russell Wilson could be available. Now, what you have to do to get him, you're probably going to have to trade a first and a third, maybe, maybe a first and a second. I don't know. Is that worth it? Absolutely, it's worth it. If you believe this team is a quarterback and a head coach away from competing right now. This is our window right now. You have Von Miller. You have Bradley Chubb. You have these guys on offense. This is our chance. There is a chance for John Elway right now to win. Go get Russell Wilson. I don't care if it's for a one-year rental. You bring him in and you bring back that respectability at the position. You bring back that trust at quarterback and you win right now. And I think Russell Wilson is the first key to that. Now, there's also another guy. If you can't get Wilson, maybe Seattle decides they're going to keep him for one more year and let him reach free agency. Okay, there is a free agent. I'd say the top free agent quarterback coming out in 2019 is Teddy Bridgewater. Now, he hasn't played for several years. He's, he's right now with the New Orleans Saints. He won't get any time behind them. And he's probably not going to play there because he's behind Drew Brees, who, unless he got hurt, obviously Bridgewater is not going to get a chance to play behind a future Hall of Famer. Now, Bridgewater is a guy who I think is a very accurate guy. He's another guy who can play from inside the pocket. He's smart, and he can control the pocket. He can control... His teammates, he seems to be another guy who's very beloved, very respected, and another one who could really bring some respectability back to the position. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Case Keenum is not respectable. I think he's a good dude, too, a good Christian guy. But I don't think he has that level of respect in the pocket or in the in the huddle, I should say. When you're in the huddle, you need a guy who's won, and he's won over and over. And I think Teddy Bridgewater, yeah, he hasn't won, but he was on the trajectory into being a great quarterback. I do believe that before he had just an absolutely unbelievable injury that that they're surprised he kept his leg. It was that bad of an injury. They thought they may have to cut off his leg. Fortunately, thank God they didn't. He is back playing football, and they say that he's back 100%. I think he could be your number two guy. If you want to win right now, you need a quarterback. Russell Wilson, number one. 
Go and trade for him. Yep, first round pick, whatever whatever you need. And if not Russell Wilson, you bring in Teddy Bridgewater. And I think one of those two guys could really, really help this team succeed right away. Now, that's step number one. Step number two is bringing in a coach that can bring this locker room back to where it should be. They need to get that kick in the pants, and they need a guy who can control the game on Sunday in the locker room every other day of the week. Now, there's two guys, and ironically, they're brothers, okay? So you know exactly who I'm going to say. We're going to start with Jim Harbaugh. Now, Jim Harbaugh has had a lot of success in the college realm. He had great success with San Diego State, then Stanford. After Stanford, he had great um, success again with, with Andrew Luck. And after that success, he was he went up to the NFL. He played with or he coached with San Francisco, won three state straight NFC championships with San Francisco, with Colin Kaepernick, and a Super Bowl appearance where he lost, ironically, to his brother John in the Super Bowl. Now, Jim Harbaugh is known as being a quarterback whisperer. And one of those guys that he whispered to was Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick, yes, he's known now for all of his political you know, standings, etc. But obviously, if he could play football, he would be in the league. I just don't doubt that. There's no way that these teams are not having him on, on their field or, or in their locker room because of his political stance. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't shoot anybody. He didn't beat anybody up. He knelt down. Yeah, maybe I don't agree with it you know, personally, but that wouldn't stop these teams from signing him. I'm sure of that. It Obviously, either he has a really terrible character and they don't like him anyway, or he's just not a great quarterback anymore. And they think that his success was built around Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh building a scheme around Colin Kaepernick. Now, Jim Harbaugh is a guy who's known as being a little wacky. He's, he's kind of strange. He has some strange ideas. And I think he doesn't always give off the best impression. But I also do think that he keeps he kicks people in the shape. And look, he, he, he won three straight NFC championships with a team that had been terrible for about 10 years. That's that's no small feat, and I think that you have to respect that. He's a guy who right now has led Michigan in in you know the NCAA. He's led Michigan back to the top four. They could compete in the in the NCAA playoffs this year, and if they win, I think it's the perfect time for Jim Harbaugh to leave and a perfect time to come to Denver. He has ties with John Elway. He's a Stanford guy. John Elway's a Stanford guy. They played against each other back in the in the eighties and nineties, so. I think that could happen, and I think that's realistic. Now, I haven't heard any rumors that Harbaugh might leave Michigan, but if he did, I think that Denver could be a good place for him. Come in and and, and help a guy like Russell Wilson refine that glory and help coach this guy who was, it was similar to Colin Kaepernick and, again, bring respectability back to the locker room. Now, okay, if not Jim Harbaugh, I think even more likely is his brother, John Harbaugh, who has been reported that he will not return to the Baltimore Ravens as head coach after 10 seasons. They, they're, they're, they've decided to go on in, in another way. They haven't fired him yet, but it's almost confirmed that he will be fired at the end of the season. Or I, I, Actually, I don't know if it's fired. I think they may not re, re, re-sign him to a contract. I think his contract might end. Either way, John Harbaugh will no longer be with the Baltimore Ravens. Now, John Harbaugh has a very good relationship with Gary Kubiak, who was his offensive coordinator in Baltimore. And I think, I imagine he has a good relationship also with John Elway. I think he's another guy who's very respected. He seems to be a little more even keeled than his brother. He has great success in the in the playoffs. He, he won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 47, with Joe Flacco, who is 
probably the most overrated quarterback in the last 10 years. And I, I don't think that's that's exaggerating much. And John Harbaugh has gone 95 and 66. That's a great record. He has 10 playoff wins in 10 years. That's the most out of anybody in the last 10 years, including Bill Belichick. Now, the problem is they haven't reached the playoffs since 2014. And part of that is because they haven't moved on from Joe Flacco. I mean, I just, I, I don't really understand why they held on to him for so long. I think that's more of a management problem than a John Harbaugh problem. Now, John Harbaugh has been known to be a, a really good defensive minded, a good defensive coordinator, but also just a very good head coach. I think he has good control of the locker room. I think he, again, he's loved, he's respected, and he's a guy who immediately would come in and bring respectability back to the franchise and back to the locker room immediately. I do truly believe players would come and play in Denver because of John Harbaugh. And definitely, if you bring in Russell Wilson and John Harbaugh, I think you're going to sign some of your big free agents that signed like they did when Peyton Manning came to Denver. This is a team that could immediately change overnight with two big moves. John Harbaugh, Russell Wilson. And I don't think they're that extreme. I don't think this is really shooting outside the box that much. I think this is doable. I could really truly see this happening. Yes, I hope it. I I, I, I dream that this is the scenario that happens, but I think it is actually a scenario that is possible. And oh man, it makes me excited just thinking about it. Can you imagine this team with Bradley Chubb, Vaughn Miller, Philip Lindsay, Freeman, Sutton, Russell Wilson and John Harbaugh not making brain dead decisions on the sideline week in and week out. And a guy who I would really love as my head coach, as a head coach of my football team. I, maybe people are going to argue that, you know, he hasn't had success for, for several years. He, he lucked into a championship. Whatever you want to say, I believe he's a good coach. I think he's highly respected. And, oh, I hope it happens. This, this is my hope right now that, again, this team, maybe they fail this season, but there is hope. There is hope. Bring in one or two guys, and this team could win right now, next year, 2020. There is an opening. I do believe it. I think there's a chance with a few additions, offensive line, cornerback, Russell Wilson, John Harbaugh. Bring him, baby. Let's do this, Denver. I am ready to win again, and I know all of you are too. And until next week, let's hope for a Denver win in L.A. Let's go, Broncos. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.